Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. So we are very excited uh, this morning because it's February and we get to start a new theme. And the theme is relationships. So this morning, we have different ages and stages that are reflected in our congregation. And we call this uh, four by seven. So they each get seven minutes to complete this phrase, blank one another. So I'm going to quickly introduce each of the... um, the speakers, and then they're going to pass it to the next person. So buckle your seatbelts because it's going to go very, very quickly. I just want to introduce Jada to you. Jada McCauley is 18. She she studies at Mount Royal University. Um, she's studying social work, and she is one of our key youth leaders, as well as she serves as a Sunday service coordinator. So we are very excited to hear from Jada today. Next is Matt Brooks. Matt has been married to Brittany for a little over three years. Matt and Brittany lead our young adults ministry. And when Matt is not here, he is one of Calgary's finest. He is a firefighter. So thank you, Matt. Next, we have Karen Spalatini. She's married to Carlo. Uh, They've been married for over 35 years. They have four married children and grandparents of four. So that is very exciting. Um, Karen serves both in the altar ministry and uh, the prayer team. John Sadowski is married to Janelle, our family pastor sitting right there. Thank you, Janelle, for being able to make it this session. Um, They have been married for over 25 years. Um, They have one son, they have two daughters, and one son-in-law. And of course, John serves um, in the family ministry as well as on the board of directors here at the church. All four of these people lead small groups. So if you are not in a small group and you want to get connected, we would highly recommend it. So from each of these, you are going to hear how they have filled in the phrase blank one another. Please welcome Jada McCauley. Thanks, Pastor Joanne. Um, So for my word, I'm saying trust one another. And trust is something that I feel is essential and foundational in building a relationship. While the Bible is very clear that we are to trust God first and foremost, being in a relationship with someone requires there to be a foundation built on trust. To trust another is to rely on them to believe that they are looking out for you and have your best interests at heart. Trust allows for a prediction of how the other person will behave in a difficult situation. Forgiveness, accountability, and love all flow from trust. Where trust is lacking, communication is less effective and it lacks depth and meaning. Trust requires wisdom, knowing who you are, when it is the right time to place your trust in another, and being able to be open and vulnerable with other people. Before firmly placing your trust in a relationship, we must first learn who we are and what our expectations are and who we are in Christ. If we do not know what to expect of ourselves, it can be very hard to trust another. How do you get things done? What are your strengths, your limitations? Where is your identity found? 
Being deeply in touch with who you are and your emotions is the beginning of becoming a trustworthy person, as well as being able to place your trust in someone else. Who you are and the standard you expect to be treated to dictates how people react to you. When things go wrong in our lives, we tend to blame others. If he wouldn't have said this or she wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't feel like this or I wouldn't be in this position. Constantly blaming others for your problems portrays yourself in a negative light. It makes you less trustworthy and makes it hard for others to place their trust in you. Admitting you are wrong is so incredibly hard, but in doing so, it shows you're honest and worthy of trust. If someone sees you avoiding taking ownership, they'll be less likely to trust you, jeopardizing their relationship. The way you carry yourself will create reactions in those around you. When I was growing up, my family had a crab apple tree in our backyard. And like, for those of you who've had crab apples, they're really sour, even at the best of times. Um, but my sister and I would always, like every single year, want to eat the apples before they were ripe and ready to be picked. We were so excited that something was starting to grow that we couldn't wait to have it. When we ate the unripe fruit, it was so bitter. When it comes to trust in a relationship, don't try to pick the fruit before it's ripe. Just like fruit, trust takes time to develop. Trusting someone is a major investment. How do you know that someone is trustworthy and worthy of your investment? Take your time. See what they're all about. Spend more time listening than talking. People love to talk because it fills the uncomfortable silence. But listening creates the valuable foundations of trust. Open up, opening up before a strong trust has been built can be a bitter and unpleasant experience, just like eating a piece of fruit before it's ready. Trust is being open and honest with someone in hopes that they will be understanding of what you say and do, that they'll support you in the choices you make, whether they agree with them or not. Completely trusting someone makes you vulnerable and leaves you defenseless. Being completely open to someone can be scary, but the vulnerability in the relationship makes the two people allies connected on a deeper level. Um, so there's Brene Brown. She's a research professor at the University of Houston. She's written a lot of books and done a lot of um, videos on trust and vulnerability in relationships. That's one of the things that she studies. If you haven't heard of her, seriously, go home and look her up. She's amazing. <laughs> um, one of the key things that she points out, though, is that opening yourself up to someone is one of the most powerful things you can do. Some people deserve our vulnerability, where others do not. This is where trust and wisdom comes in. You can't be vulnerable with someone if you don't completely trust them. They need to earn your trust and the right to see your heart and share your experiences with you. Trust is one of the most powerful gifts you can give another person. It feels safe. It makes us feel secure. Trust allows us to open up and share our true selves with the people we are in relationship with. Before trusting, know yourself first. Trust yourself. Trust God. Only then can you begin to deeply look at, into trusting someone and that relationship with another person. Don't try to rush trust. Instead, enjoy the period of getting to know one another. Learn to embrace the silence. Be open and vulnerable. Share your heart with those you trust. Build your relationships on trust and watch how they go from being superficial, the small talk only relationships to a true partnership, long lasting. Thank you. Help me welcome up Matt. Oh my goodness. Come on. How good was that? Come on. Another, like that was so good. Uh, like... I just, I was blown away in the first service, and yeah, still blown away. So good. So I, uh, I, I chose sacrifice. It says trust, but it's uh, sacrifice for one another. I, that, that's my word. 
And I was going to choose love, but I thought, you know, probably somebody else is going to choose love. You know, love one another. That seems like a pretty obvious choice. And then nobody did. Uh, but I chose sacrifice. And, uh, and, and then the more I thought about it, I actually thought, you know what, love actually, uh, as an English word, kind of sucks. Am I allowed to say that? Uh, it's, it's not the best. And some of you are like, what is he talking about? But, it, like, I love my wife. I love my wife. Yeah? Uh, I love movie theater popcorn a lot, you know. Uh, I love dogs, and I love naps. Like, who doesn't love a nap, right? So does love really adequately describe how I feel about all of those things within relationship to each other? In the English language, not really. And, and in, in, in the Bible, uh, th- there's a few different words for love, and they're, they're fantastic. And being amazing Christians like you are, you've probably heard all of these words before, so bear with me. But the one that I want to talk about is agape. And, and agape is this incredible picture of, um, well, it's like this. It's, it's a choice that you make by acting and seeking the well-being of others regardless of how they respond to me or regardless of what I get out of it. That, that's agape, and, and I love that. And to be honest, I think I'm pretty decent at it. You know, not perfect, not perfect, but I'm okay. Hey, babe, right? She's got to say yes, I paid her. Uh, you know, I feel like, I feel like I, 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 yeah, I make some mistakes, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, but I'm getting better and better all the time. I feel like I can sacrifice for people regardless of how they respond, you know, especially, you know, especially for you. But uh, I was reading in John chapter 15, um, verses 12 to 13, and this is the words of Jesus, and he's speaking to his disciples, and he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And I was thinking about this, and I'm like, you know what? I, yeah, like, I, I definitely try to lay my life down for people. Not perfectly. Again, I'm growing constantly. But, but then I was thinking, you know, like, okay, Jesus, uh, love, love people like you have loved them and like how you love us. What does that look like? Like, how, what did you do, Jesus, that, that shows us your love? Well, what happens in John, you know, pretty well within a week of this moment? Well, Jesus goes into Jerusalem willingly, knowing that he's going to be betrayed and tortured in the most inhumane, brutal way imaginable and die on the cross for, for us. For, for He literally laid his life down for his friends and for the people around him and for us. And he says, this command I give to you, love like I love you, like agape, right? In this sacrificial way. And then as I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it, I was like, yeah, maybe I don't actually love people like that. I want to, right? But, but maybe I don't. Maybe I don't. And I certainly make a big effort for my friends and my family. But then this other scripture just popped into my head. And thanks God for this because this was really convicting. And it's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 46. It says, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do that. Basically, Jesus is saying, you love people that love you, big deal. Like, everybody does that, of course. Like, that should be pretty easy. But, but the love of God is like loving people that don't love me and maybe hate me. 
and are never going to respond in a way that I want them to, but loving and choosing to love them anyways. And as I was thinking that, I'm like, yeah, I really, God, I really don't do that. Am I the only one? Or are you all perfectly holy? It's totally cool, right? Um, and some of you maybe have perfected this, and I'm, you know, I'm on the journey, right? And I thought, man, I do not love people that way, that especially if they don't love me. And in a moment, I realized, actually, you know what? I don't even love the people that love me that way. I, I want to, but I fall short over and over and over again. I screw up constantly. I am imperfect. And I, it's just like I, I can't seem to get there in a way that's lasting and meaningful. And like, what the heck? You know, like, am I a, a, a huge failure? And then as I'm looking around the room, I see a lot of you going, huh, thanks, this is a really encouraging talk, Matt. That's nice, dude. Like, great. Now I feel wonderful. But stop. Stop that. Don't, hold on. <laughs> Don't feel bad. Because I think that's our condition, right? Is that we, we are broken and we are messed up and we are imperfect. And that's the whole point of the cross, Right? That is the whole reason that Jesus had to come and die for our sins and bring forgiveness to us. He had to go there for us because we were incapable of going there for anyone else, even the people that love us. Right? And hey, now what does that mean for us moving forward, right? Okay, well, Jesus has done that, and he's asking us to imitate him, and I'm trying but I keep messing up. And like, why? Because I've totally accepted Jesus, but why am I constantly making these same mistakes over again? Why am I not perfect? It's because I'm trying to do it in my own strength. Stop it, you guys. Don't do it in your own strength. It's like it says in Galatians. Like, like Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. And that's the point. Is that if I'm trying to love her perfectly, I, and, and not just her, like random strangers and all of you here, if I'm trying to love them, like, oh, I'm going to do good things, I'm going to make mistakes over and over and over and over again. But if I allow Christ in my heart, and I just humble myself and say, God, like, I need you to show me how to love, because I am not good at this. And when I'm weak, I need you to help me to love, regardless of how people treat me. It begins this process of healing and becoming the type of people that Christ made us to be. Amen? I want to love like that. How about you? So good. Okay, awesome. Thank you guys so much. Why don't you just join me in welcoming Karen? Good morning, everyone. The word that I chose uh, to speak on that I believe is essential in relationships is the word affirm, not um affirm like working out affirm but affirm affirm the definition to affirm is to validate to agree to say yes to something that has already been established which i found so fascinating because there's also that word encourage encourage is something that we come alongside and agree with or speak to that hasn't yet quite been accomplished. But affirm, affirm means that we're saying yes to something that has been established. 
So if I were to bring this into relationship, and I'm such a relationship person, which makes so many people's eyes roll back, I get it. But I do, I love, I love, love, love people. And so looking at Jesus and what he did and how he walked this earth, he walked in relationship always. His walk was intentional. So he had relationships with his family. He had relationships with the apostles. He had relationships that were assigned. In other words, what I'm trying to say there is in a day, he would encounter people. He'd have encounter relationships. And what's so beautiful about him was he would receive anybody who came his way. You never really kind of sidetracked him. He received you just as you were, but you never left that way because he could see you as a completed, the way the Lord God saw you, completed, whole, healed. He saw you as somebody who's perfect. And he agreed with God the Father on something that had already been established. How powerful is that? Um, so when I think about this in terms of relationship, this never really has been something that's been that foreign to me because uh, some years back, I uh, worked at a school and I was a receptionist and I had the opportunity to sit at the front desk and um, pretty much take the concerns and the cares of the students, the teachers, and the families. And you can appreciate that's a little interesting at times. And uh, it wasn't that long into the job where I decided I had an opportunity every single day to speak to someone. And I really kind of concentrated on the kids because kids come with anxieties and kids come with hurts and not feeling well and all these things. And I thought, you know, Lord, if I could just one time speak one piece of light of life of something that you've already established for that child in the day to unravel what it is that is going on because you know agreement is very powerful so we will agree with something that isn't always truth but when we affirm what we're saying is we agree with what we know is truth what God has established with the word of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to unravel what's happening in this little one's life or anyone's life. And what I loved about that was I got to intentionally look every day for someone and somehow to speak something. We can do that at any level. We can do that in our marriage. We can do that in our church. We can do that at our friendships. We can do that in the line when somebody busts through the you know, checkout line, and you're really not thinking an affirming thought, you're thinking something else. But then you start kind of sense, wait a minute, this individual may be in a rush for something. The Lord is so faithful. Um, you know, it was during the two services that something um, caught my attention. And so I want to just share this. Um, a few years back, we were at the Wild Wild West, and um, I was participating with Carlo in worship, and someone turned to me uh, and said, you know, you're worthy. And that took me back for a second, and I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. And things started to unravel. And what I started to do with that was I decided that I really wanted to dig into the word 
to see what this all meant. And the reason I tell you that story is this, because, you know, when somebody talks to you about somebody that you know very, very well, they can name characteristics that are very easy for them to name off. Like, I can tell you that my husband is a teacher and that he is gentle and he's kind and he's generous. And I can, I recognize these things. And so because I recognize that in him, I recognize that in others. So I wanted to go and find out what this meant, that I was worthy. And I sat and I started to read this. I started to realize that Jesus knew the Father so well that he knew that we were healed. He knew that we were purchased. He knew that we were forgiven. He knew that we were worthy. And, you know, we can be so busy in our life um, looking for things that we want to say to others, but can we be still enough to receive what the Father says over us? You know, those affirming words can break strongholds, things that hold us strong in thought. And that's what that word worthy did for me. And it brought me to a new place. And that shifted a lot for me. You know, we have the opportunity to really desire to listen, but also to maybe speak into somebody where we can actually look at them in the eye and say, you are loved. You are forgiven. And we may not know what that's going to do in their life, but what we do know is we are agreeing with what has been established in heaven with the word of truth that is Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit takes that word, we have done something significant. And those words are life. Those words have mercy and grace on them. So I just impart to all of you the ability and the willingness to receive what the Father says over you so you can recognize those beautiful characteristics and speak them to people who may need them in the course of their day to change their day, to maybe um, evoke something that the Lord's speaking to them, or even just let them know that Jesus is alive and he sees that little gem, that little morsel that they needed to hear that day. I'm going to bring uh, John Sadowski up. Sorry, John. Wow, once again, I uh, was listening to the rest of the excellent panel and forgot that I had to come up <laughs> and speak as well, just like last service. Uh, I'm on uh, guest speaker probation right now because I went over my time uh, last time, so I'm going to do my best, Joanne, I promise. Joanne was very brave to ask me uh, to do this because she knows, she should know by now that I'll always go for the laugh. And, and uh, when I got the invitation, it was, we want you to talk about relationships, and it has to fit into this framework. It, it was worded differently. There it says one another, but uh, the framework I was given is you could talk about anything you want, but it has to fit into blank each other. And I looked at it, and I laughed a little bit, and then the second thing I thought of was to commit to each other. And I uh, commit is a big thing for me because we, we just had a big anniversary, 25 years. And so a lot of, for some reason on those even numbers, people ask you uh, advice on marriage. If you're 25 or 30 or 50, uh, 27, I guess it doesn't matter. But at 25, it's, a, it's important. So the big thing I've been telling people is you need to commit to each other. So if you think, uh, if you think the goal of marriage or relationships or church or life for that matter is to make you happy, uh, you're gonna have a, a bad time of things. And uh, this is gonna get a little more depressing before it gets less depressing at the end, but um, 
don't get me wrong, your marriage can make you happy, and my marriage makes me happy. My wife wasn't in the last service. Um, my marriage makes me happy, uh, but it will never always make you happy. And sometimes in the, in the best marriages, there might be prolonged periods of, of unhappiness or of grief. And if you think that the purpose of your marriage is to make you happy, then every time you feel unhappy, you're going to think there's something wrong with your marriage. Or for that matter, if you think the purpose of your church is to make you happy, you're going to think there's something wrong with your church every time you feel unhappy. And that's really what Hollywood shows us, right, in the happily ever after. You always see them running away after the wedding, and you never see what's going on five years later. Happiness is a real fleeting thing, and, and in fact, it feels very spiritual, but it's actually a very physical thing, and it's actually a, a chemical thing, and there's a reason why we call it chemistry, if you have chemistry with someone, uh, because it literally is chemistry. Uh, when you first meet someone, uh, and you're in a new relationship, if you're in a new marriage, your brain is, is flooded with all these chemicals like serotonin and dopamine and adrenaline that just make you, make you feel happy. And we know it's physical because we can replicate it with physical things. We can give you drugs that'll make you feel happy, uh, legal and illegal, I suppose. And there's lots of people that do that. Uh, but nowhere in scripture does it say that the purpose of marriage or Anything in your life, really, is to make you happy. In fact, Paul goes so far to say to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he goes on to talking to them about how good it is to be single, and then he goes so far as to say that those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. So, like, that kind of settles it, right? Like, if happiness is your goal, marriage might not be your best option. I love you, hon. It's going to get better shortly. Uh, but I'd like to suggest that there's a greater purpose for your marriage than happiness. And that is that your marriage can have meaning. Your marriage can mean something. It can mean something to the two of you because uh, Scripture tells us how marriage is actually this analogy of, of Christ's love for his church. And there's a, an entire goldmine of things you can learn by working things out in your marriage about how Christ feels for his church. And your marriage can have meaning to your children and your ancestors, and literally for generations to come, and your marriage can have meaning for your community, for the people in your church and the people in your social circles. And meaning can bring you something much better and less fleeting than happiness. It can bring you joy, which is really a much more mature version of happiness. Uh, the psalmist says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Note that it's not, he doesn't just say rejoice in your wife when she's young. He, he, he says rejoice in the wife you married when you were young. Uh, and to rejoice means to find joy in, to find satisfaction in the meaning of. It, it, it's a much more spiritual version of happiness than, as opposed to the chemical version of happiness. So where does commitment come into all of this? Commitment is the key that unlocks meaning in your marriage. It's the vehicle that carries you past the, uh, the chemistry. Because there's, and don't get me wrong, there's plenty of, uh, there can be plenty of chemistry after 25 years of marriage. And there's plenty of times I'm sure my kids would wish that we'd take our chemistry upstairs. But, <laughs> but there's, there, I didn't say that in the first service, did I? Sorry. I meant to use my internal voice on that one. Um, there, 
it's, it's predictable. You, you, you get married. We talk about the end of the honeymoon period, and that's really the, what's happened is, is, is you're, you're a few years in, and now all of the, all of the mysteries, all of the exciting mysteries anyway, are probably gone, and you know each other for good and for bad, and you're, and you're staring at this other imperfect person and with your own imperfect eyes, and, and you have to figure out what you're going to do with each other at this point, because you're not happy all the time anymore. And so, Commitment is what can get you past that and have you break through into discovering the meaning in your marriage. Now, commitment does not simply mean that you never leave. And, 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 you know, it's not, oh, I'm committed to this marriage, so no matter how miserable it is and no matter how horrible they treat me, and I'm just going to power through because I'm committed. It, it's so much more than that. Commitment is not about what you're not going to do. It's about what you are going to do, how you're going to be committed to, uh, d- committed to working on your marriage, committed to discovering all the mysteries you can learn through, uh, through this relationship with this other person, uh, committed, to, uh, committed to the legacy that your marriage can bring. If you're committed to, uh, to keeping your house, your home, your physical house in good order, uh, you're going to inspect it periodically. And if you see a crack in the foundation, you're, you're going to, you're going to invest some time and some money and some effort into repairing that because your other option is just push a bookshelf in front of it and wait till the house falls down. Commitment is not about just being there when the house falls down. Commitment is making sure that your house is in good repair. Commitment is making sure that your marriage is good repair so that you don't wait until it's too late. I'm going to skip some of this stuff, Joanne. Once you... Once you're secure in your commitment to each other, your marriage becomes this amazing safe place where you can work out your stuff and work out your faith with each other. And happiness won't motivate you to do that because it's not a happy process. If you're, um, if you're working, out, working out your stuff, it, it can take years and, and it can take a lot of grief. But you need that safe place. When you know that other person is not going anywhere, that they're going to work through it with you, uh, there's, there's so much you can accomplish together that you can't on your own. You would, you would find it hilarious if you could eavesdrop on our home, if you could eavesdrop on our date night that we had a couple nights ago and see the things that we're still working out with each other, the ways we still can't communicate with each other on certain things and, and the ways we hurt each other. And you would think, really, after 26 years, like, this is the best you guys can do. And, uh, but what I can tell you, is, in the last 25 years, we've spent thousands of dollars on marriage counseling. And I expect that we're going to spend thousands more over the next 25 years. And I, I'm happy to tell you all that because uh, it's, not, uh, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of commitment. Uh, if you're committed to your marriage, you keep it in good repair. And the more committed you are to your marriage, the faster you'll get yourself to counseling or find help when you see that crack in that foundation. And you won't wait until the house falls down. The pursuit of happiness will not motivate you to repair those cracks, but the pursuit of meaning will. Once you begin to appreciate the meaning in your marriage, the not leaving part becomes easy, to be honest. I'm, pragmatically speaking, Janelle and I could, there's plenty, millions, billions of people in this world, we could find other people that could probably make us happy in the love drug sense. But there's not... There's not another woman in this world, not another single woman out of three billion women that could replace 25 years of meaning that are packed into my marriage with Janelle. And there's not, a, there's not another woman in this world that would make me divorce the legacy that we're working on to leave to our kids and future generations and this community as a whole. And that legacy is not one of 
of a perfect marriage where it was ponies and unicorns and castles and, and, and everything was easy. That legacy is one where we, we faced all the hard stuff that everybody in this room has either faced or is facing or will face, but we worked it out and we continue to work it out together uh, no matter what because we see the value in that. So no matter where you are right now, I challenge you to consider the meaning of what has happened in your past relationships or what is happening in your current relationship or what will happen in your future relationships and focus less on your own happiness. It's a, it's a horrible yardstick for whether things are going right or not. I don't really believe in the concept of soulmates. I believe in choosing. I think Janelle and I, if we didn't choose each other, we could have gone on to probably marry other people and have perfectly happy marriages. But how, how, how much more romantic is it to know that rather than think we were destined to each other and, and somehow forced toward each other, that we, that we chose each other? Janelle could have chose anyone, and yet she chose me. And I think about that often, to be honest with you. <laughs> So don't waste too much time looking for the perfect person, because Janelle sure didn't. Um, look for someone who can commit to you, because that, and who you can commit to as well, because that is what is going to uh, unlock the key to meaning in your marriage. So in summary, and I went even more over this time, commit to each other, because it's the key to finding the meaning in your marriage, and it will bring you closer to each other, and closer to the Lord, and closer to your community, and that's the key to joy in your life.